Let's go live with Jack Kelly. Welcome to the one-of-a-kind LinkedIn live show that will help you with your job search and advancing your career. We will bring in educated career experts who will share their insights and give you inside tips on how to be successful in your job search. Now let's get into today's show with your host, Jack Kelly. Okay, we are official on Let's Go Live with Jack Kelly. And today I have the pleasure to have Dorothy Dalton, an international superstar, an international career coach, executive recruiter, HR expert, and she can tell you the rest of what she does. And what's really fascinating is that she's based in Brussels. So for us here in the US, Brussels is in Europe. So it's not here in the States, it's a different country, right? Is, am I right so far, Dorothy? Different yeah, country. Right. Here. Um, and, <laughs> and, and she's gonna talk about, but a lot of the themes of uh, how she helps people and provides guidance and advice is, is, is across the board. It holds in Europe, Asia, here in the US, but then there's a lot of differences too that we'll explore. So maybe we could just start out, Dorothy, and you could tell just a little bit about yourself and what you do, what you've done, and then, and then we could just jump into everything. Well, um, thank you, and I'm delighted to be here, and good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you, you're located. <laughs> Um, I just got an upgrade from Jack, it was a superstar, but I'll take it. Um, I was saying to him earlier that I, I went into coaching um, before it was ever a thing. Um, and so I, I've been coaching for a very long time and I started to focus on it probably just before the last recession. And um, as somebody who was very young said to me, which one was that, when was that? So I'm talking about 2008, 2009. So um, I, happen, I happen to be a coach, um, I'm a certified trainer, I do executive search, and more recently I've become very involved in inclusive workplaces and um, supporting organizations in terms of gender balance, diversity and inclusion. So on top of helping organizations re achieve business success, I help individuals reach their potential. That's great. You know, um, with Belgium, um, I'm very, I'm not so aware of the demographics there. So when you're saying inclusion, diversity inclusion, what does that entail? in Brussels? Well, I, I mean, first of all, I tend to work with international organizations so that they are located okay. through, you know, throughout the globe. And-, and Okay, so it's not, what, what you're, it's your remit is across the board, not yeah, just it's, Brussels it's, then, right? I, I, tend to, I, I tend to work internationally, but I, so, but I think the, the term is used in Belgium the same as it is everywhere. It's about creating a workplace where everyone feels they belong and psychologically secure and have a voice. So, um, I mean, this applies to um, gender, race, um, sexual orientation, all of these things, um, the same as it does in the States or anywhere else. Yeah, because I guess here in the States, uh, it's, as they say, it's a melting pot. So you, ha you have, I don't even know how many different you know, races, religion, you know, people from various countries, but I guess when you're talking about across Europe, it's the same thing, where you're dealing yeah. with such a, a large array of people with all these differences. So, okay. Uh, in terms of your your career coaching, are there things you see now going on that you feel people need help with, whether it's networking, whether it's branding themselves, whether it's 
getting the confidence to get out there. Are there certain themes you see and, and, and you have suggestions to help people? I would imagine that, and, and certainly because I'm very active um, with, a, with a wide network of, of, of coaches who work in, this, in the same space. I think the issues that we have in Europe are the same that everyone is having. I think we're in lockdown here. Um, might be more serious than in regions of the UK and in the US, I'm not sure um, how you fix that. But say, for example, in Belgium and other parts of Europe, you have to um, work from home or it's advised. Hospitality is closed, events are banned. So people, people are quite restricted in terms of networking. So that's a major issue. Um, I think there are also lots of mental health issues um, in terms of people are confined. Sometimes they don't have the right space or they're educated. They've got mm. homeschooling kids or they're caring for someone or they've been sick. So I think the times that, I mean, I hate using this term unprecedented times, but I mean, I think that people are having challenges that um, they've never faced before. And on top of that, a lot of them are losing their jobs and some of the sectors are not going to come back for quite a while. So I'm talking about hospitality, aviation, event management. Um, a lot of these, these um, types of professions and jobs which may not come around again until maybe third quarter next year. So it, it's, I think there's a, it's quite a difficult outlook. Sorry to hear it. We going through the same thing, same sectors. The unemployment in Europe, what is it? Here, I think it's now, let's say, eight-ish percent, give or take. How, how is it over there? Yeah, the, I mean, the, the, the figures are high here too. Um, I think the difference between um, the US and Europe is we tend to have better social support systems. So we don't have the same social impact that, that you're experiencing where people are losing their homes and they, that they're struggling in the same way. I, I think there are pockets where that's happening, but not as widespread as it is in the US. So, so what do you have? That's interesting. Like what kind of programs? Um, well, they have, they have social support, a lot of social support where people who have been laid off, their, their salaries are made up by the government. They get support with um, maybe their rent and or other elements. The other thing that we have here, which is a major difference, is we have either free healthcare or affordable healthcare. So um, that makes a massive difference. If people get sick, then you know they're not going to be bankrupted by, by the debt of medical medical help. But even so hospitals are under, under pressure. It, it's, not, it's not an easy time. And particularly if you're a job seeker locked at home, um, there are a lot of people who are getting quite panicky. So for the people who are locked at home, we have that here. What, what would you suggest to them? And especially, and I agree with you wholeheartedly, I think mental health issues is, is a big issue. We're starting to talk about it more here in the States, but historically it's one of those things culturally, we haven't talked a lot about it openly. So for somebody who has been here, it was probably saying there, eight, eight plus months losing track of time of how long this is going on, you get worn down, you lose your self-esteem, your self-confidence, and now you're stuck at home. So what, what advice would you give to people who feel a little beaten up, they're at home, you can't have that cup of coffee in person to get out there, to network, to just make something happen. I, I, think, I think one of the things is that you have to do is you have to accept the reality of it. 
um, and, and you, you can't change it. And I'm speaking from personal experience here because I'm, I'm a real extrovert. And I thought this would be over in like a month. And Same here. I, I, I had an intercontinental <laughs> flight booked in April and I canceled it the day before um, I was due to fly out. So it, it took me a while to accept and to adapt. Um, so I think that once you've accepted that, for me, that was a huge, a huge part of it. I mean, it's almost part of a grieving process. You accept that this is going on. And I think you have to take stock of, you know, where you're at, what you can do. You have to um, practice self-care. I think I almost put that as a priority now, self-care you know, to exercise, to make sure that you eat healthily, to make sure that you're sleeping properly. And I think if you can get that sorted out, then the other things will fall into place. But I think having um, the te technology that we have has made it much easier. Can you imagine having this without the tech? Right, this, it's just to be dreadful, right? Stuck at home. I guess you have to read books or I don't know. <laughs> Well, kind of develop a lot of new hobbies. Exactly. So I, yeah. I think that having the tech, um, I, I always yeah. encourage people to reach out to three people a day. You know, I'm a big fan of three, three little pigs, three blind mice, okay. three wise men. So three people a day. LinkedIn is fantastic for that. Um, so I don't know if anyone's, you know, listening, whatever you do, make sure that you're active on LinkedIn, you're, in, you're engaging, because whether you're um, in your current company and you want to stay there or you're a job seeker, it's really important to engage and build your network, and um, particularly because we don't know how long this is going to go on for. So I think that's important. I think finding work-life balance, you know, for me, um, and this isn't my tip, so I can't claim that it's mine, um, but it was given to me and it's one that resonates when I use it in workshops I do, is at the end of the day, you know, say goodbye to your colleagues, if you've got colleagues, you, as though you were leaving the office, you say goodbye. Um, you maybe put your computer in um, a box or with the dishcloth over it, or I mean, whatever it is to signify it's the end of the day. And this is a contentious topic, actually. Um, I, I'm a firm believer in sort of work clothes and non-work clothes, whereas there's been, there's a movement that says, you know, you can be in your PJs all day. For me, that doesn't work. I don't, I don't know about you. Well, look, <laughs> I'm, I'm, yeah, I, I'm going, I, you know, I made up a decision and said, you know what, after wearing, you know, t-shirts and sweatshirts, I'm, uh, I'm, no, you know what, especially on these LinkedIn lives, I'm going to go counter narrative and say, I'm going to old school get the tie, the jacket, because, you know, it just, it makes a difference mentally. It For makes me, a difference I mean, between, it's almost like you're, 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 you know, by doing this, I feel this is a, we're not in a pandemic, you know, we're, we're, we're mentally on past the pandemic where we want to be, if that makes any sense. And it does yeah, help. Absolutely. It does work. I yeah. did have a couple of questions that came in while you're talking. So, so when you say get in touch with, I'll paraphrase, when, when you get in touch, and I don't mean to be rude, I'm just looking at my oh, messages absolutely. over here. Um, when, you, um, when you talk about like getting three people, all right, so if you're, 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 you're an extrovert, and, but what if you're an introvert, how, like, what do you do? Like, how do you, how do you frame it? What do you ask them? Who exactly should you seek out? Um, I think, I think if, if you're an introvert, um, what I would start, I mean, I think it's baby steps, isn't it? Yeah. You know, that you have to develop your confidence. Um, and being an introvert um, just means that you, 
you need time to get your energy um, quietly, but it doesn't mean to say you don't have energy. So um, what you can do is um, leave a comment on someone's post on LinkedIn, but not just a like, um, but I mean a meaningful comment um, so that they know that you're alive. Um, you could send a little message to um, maybe a colleague or um, someone you were in university with or a previous colleague, or it doesn't matter, just to check in with them. I think we need to do a lot more checking in on people and genuinely ask them how they're doing. And a lot of people will say they're fine, but they're not fine. Um, and you can follow them on LinkedIn. You don't have to connect with them. You just have to follow. And they get an alert to say that you're following them and they know that you're there. So they're very low key things that you can do that let people know you're there, let people know that you're thinking of them. It's interesting. Then I just had a follow-up question here too, that someone was asking about, hey, here, you know, I went, they didn't say here in the States, but they said, you know, here, you know, that it's Thanksgiving. Would you suggest that this is that a good, that a good, what was it? sorry, I have my contacts in there. Sometimes I can't see that, you know, far. Um, would you suggest that because it's Thanksgiving, you could use that holidays as an excuse to get in front of people, but try to seg, try to segue it into, I'm not looking, you know, I'm out of work. Can you help me? Is that kind of crass or is that, that a technique? Yeah. Yeah, um, I, I mean, I, I think one of the things and I'm a big believer in this is that, that you, you, you don't fix your roof when it's raining. So you, ha you have to play the long game in terms of networking. So if you want to reach out to people, um, then um, do that and be genuine and authentic because there's nothing worse than having someone you haven't clapped eyes on for 10 years yeah. and saying, you know, happy Thanksgiving, um, I need a job. Um, Okay. So that's not going to work. So maybe what they should do is this: <clears throat> say, and this is from uh, this is this is from Jonathan. So, so Jonathan could say, "Hey, happy Thanksgiving. Hope everything is well. Just wanted to check in with you. How are you doing? How's the family, etc." But then just leave it at that. And then down the road, then they, they could always come back again and have another conversation, and then maybe bring it up. You know, so, or, or if the other party doesn't bring up how are you doing, Jack, and I say, well, I'm in between jobs. Can you help me? So planting the seeds is what you're saying. Don't just jump into it. Yeah. And, 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 right I, away. and I think also that if you're saying, you know, happy Thanksgiving, hope everything's fine. Um, you can, um, you can, it depends how well you know them because mm -hmm. once again, if it's a stranger, you don't want to ask them right. for coffee or whatever. But if it's someone that you know, you know, if you're around and want to have a, a Zoom coffee after the holiday, then um, let's do that. Um, the other thing that if that person is in your locality, the one thing that I've been doing, which is super fun, um, is I, I do something called net walking. So it means that you go for a walk with someone and you're socially distanced. We have to wear masks here, so you're socially distanced, but it's, it's a way of, of connecting. And someone did exactly that to me, said, you know, how are you? Um, would you like to have a Zoom coffee? And I just said, Pretty much, I'd rather shoot myself, but I will. I, wait, I wait, will. why would you want to shoot yourself instead of having a Zoom coffee? What's, what? um, because I think on that particular day, I just, I've been online since seven o'clock in the morning. So I said, but I will. Oh, you just want to get outside. You want enough with the Zoom. I got yeah. you. Okay, okay. So that I will meet you to go for a walk. So yeah. we meant to go for a walk. I like that. That's a great idea. 
And is, mean, that, is that a common practice there or that's just something you do? And, that is and just something I do. <laughs> I like that idea. That's a great, you know what? In Silicon Valley, that's a thing where instead of uh, having a meeting, you know, the manager and, 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 and another person might take a walk or two peers take a walk and outside, nice weather. And this is pre-COVID. So I like that idea because you're getting out, you're getting some fresh air, you're not sitting in front of a computer for another hour. And you're actually doing two things. You're, you're doing something healthy, as you pointed out earlier, that's important, as you mentioned, in terms of when you're doing a job search, you wanna stay mentally healthy, physically healthy. So just taking a nice brisk walk, have a little socialization, which is very important when you're under lockdown. And that's, that's a great idea. I like that, that's a really good idea. Here's getting a little cold in the Northeast, but other parts of the country, it's, it's totally doable. Well, but, and, and here, as I said to you earlier, we, we get a lot of rain. Yeah. So it, it's, it's, not, it's not good for your hair. So I came back from one <laughs> network. My hair was out here. And, and my next call said, whoa, Dorothy. <laughs> so you got to plan the walks by the weather. You got to make sure you get one of the few sunny days in Belgium where you can walk. And same here. Yeah. You got to get one of the days where it's nice outside and not freezing because then it's not a very pleasant walk. So the walk, you just got to balance it, right? Yeah. Okay. You check my Twitter feed. I've always yeah. got photos of me walking in the sun. Yeah. All so, right, cool. I'll check it out. So that I like that idea. That's a really good, because that's something it, you could just practice, you know, you could do it tomorrow. You know what I mean? Someone who's watching this or more likely to watch it, you know, see it on social media somewhere, could right away say, hey, you know what? Great idea. Let me hit up somebody and say, hey, let's take a walk. And then you have this nice casual conversation. It's perfect. You get out of the house because and I, I, I'm curious, we'll talk about this next, what's going on there, because I think people here are so cooped up that they want to be called by people. They want to have conversations. After a while, there's only so much Netflix you could watch. So it's, it's you know, taking a walk. I like that. That's just, you know, sometimes, Dorothy, you, you know, there's, so, when someone says so, like something that when you hear it, it sounds so simple, but then it's that aha, like, yeah, that's just a perfect thing to get away from technology get outside, fresh air, feel good about yourself, have somebody to talk with, commiserate with. So that's, yeah, that's something people should add to their repertoire. Um, what I would like to hear, and I think the people you know watching would like to know, what are some of the differences there? For instance, we're locked down here, you're locked down there. We're finding it's a lot of challenges because the schools are closed. So parents juggling their jobs and taking care of childcare. Is that, is that an issue in Europe as well? Yeah, and I'm, I'm actually um, running some programs for um, some companies, corporate programs, and it's um, a struggle to juggle. And, I like and that. And it's, it's about how, how, do you manage, how do you manage this, particularly in a, in a, a two-career household? Um, and I think the stats everywhere globally are, are that women are taking the hit in terms of childcare and... Mm -hmm. Um, and household chores. I mean, certainly, I give you the, the European. I, I know these figures because I looked them up yesterday. Um, thirty hours, thirty hours a week for women in Europe against nine hours for men. So there's a big difference. So we need to close that gap because it is pushing women out of out of the the workplace. And I had a call a couple of weeks ago from a senior manager, um, very senior manager who was wanting to give up her job um, and she wanted career coaching. And it transpires that her, her husband um, actually was a freelance um, web designer. 
working at home, but she was giving up her job. And, and I just said, okay, you know, let's sort of hold that thought for a minute and find out if there are other solutions that we can find to make this work. Um, and we actually sat down and um, worked out a program. And it, it was like a business program. It was like workflow processing. And you have two really competent people who are working at home. And, you know, they're squabbling about whose turn it is to, you know, empty the dishwasher or, you know, do the maths homework with the kids or whatever. Um, and we actually sat down and worked out a workflow management um, process um, on Excel, you know, with all the apps, all the, the bells and whistles. And it, it worked. They found that balance. So sometimes business process solutions can be applied for these very exceptional circumstances and you don't need to do anything drastic like give up your job um and you know it means prioritizing making compartmentalizing time taking it in turns um listening and talking to each other and you know having those deeper conversations which quite honestly a lot of a lot of families and couples don't have that's so interesting here in the states eight hundred thousand plus women uh, gave up working, came out of the workforce because of childcare. And that's not during the whole pandemic. That's just been one, one part of it. So that's a big issue. So a lot of women, you know, pulled out and that's going to be tough because it's hard to get back on track. You can, you, yeah, but it gets harder and harder when you get out. So it's, it's an issue here. How about the childcare? Are your schools open? Um, they went back on Monday. So yesterday, they they had been closed for a couple of a couple of weeks um, to try and um, you know sort of get on top of COVID because we had some very bad figures here, um, and they've got they've just gone back. So I think what they're trying to do is to get the schools working so that um, so that people can work from home. So the schools um, were open before, but then they just closed down. They closed. They, they were closed in the summer. And they opened again, and then they, um, they, you know, the COVID numbers went up, and they had to close again. But I saw, I saw a really cute scene, and um, when I was out for a walk yesterday, two two little kids, trading masks. So <laughs> that was so. But they were giving, taking the mask off, and giving it. Or <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. it started off very. Um, very uh, aware of health yeah. and hygiene, but then, oh, I like your mask, you know. <laughs> That's so cute. It's adorable. What yeah. a sign of the times. Like if we had this conversation a year ago, can you even like imagine this happening? You know, two little kids switching masks. You would think, what? I don't understand. What is this? This doesn't make any sense. Yeah. It's wild. Uh, I, oh, I had, wait, hold on. What's the, so what of, to your question about, you know, trying to deal with the, the wait, what did you call the ju uh, struggle, juggle, right, juggle, 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 wait, juggle, struggle? Oh, a juggle, struggle, or struggle to juggle. What, okay, juggle, struggle. I like that. Juggle, struggle. So to deal with the juggle, struggle, uh, Cynthia was asking, how can you go to your boss? And, and I, I'll just kind of phrase, you know, rephrase it. How can you go to your boss, Dorothy, and then say, hey, I have two young toddlers at home, you know, two and five. How, like, how, what do I say to them? that I do need some time to take care of it without risking my job. Um, can you ask her if she's a, um, a single parent? She's uh, she's not, because she said like her husband works too, so. Okay. Yeah. Um, I, I think truthfully, the first conversation is you have to have with your partner. Yeah. 
Um, and, and I think that's, I mean, I see lots of headlines mm -hmm. um, saying, you know, childcare is falling on women. Um, I mean, it just doesn't materialize out of the blue. I mean, they accept it. Mm -hmm. um, I think you need to have a conversation with your partner and do this workflow process, see if you can figure something out and then and then go to your boss. But I really think that companies have got to start being more flexible. They have to um, show trust. Um, it does mean that people are going to be working a little bit differently. But I think and I don't think a lot of bosses um, are mindful of, of that as they should be. Um, yeah. And I, they don't have the training to manage people remotely and they need to put that on the agenda. There's another one by Diana and she's saying that she started to feel that my boss is getting uh, a little irritated with me. Should I leave my job? Should I speak to him? Should I make file a complaint? What, what do you do? Yeah, because I, I, don't, I don't know if there's a term for it, but I'm starting to hear from people kind of this fatigue where, and it could go not only from bosses, but peers where this gets, where people who let's say are single and don't have children compared to people who do have children feel that, Hey, they're, I'm working harder than they are. And it gets really uncomfortable. Uh, so in her case, what do you do? Do you file a grievance, a complaint? Do you just, if you feel that boss is on top of you, that's a really uncomfortable spot to be in. Right. Um, I mean, first of all, don't give up your job. Yeah. I mean, okay. First thing, um, second thing, I would hold the grievance. Um, I think the, the, everybody's got something, right? I, I'm experiencing this crisis from a position of privilege. Um, I have outside space, I'm looking after kids, I've been healthy. Um, I think it's important to start a dialogue with your boss. Um, and it depends on his communication style. And, um, it's, I call it the CIA approach. And so it's establishing the context of the situation, um, establishing the intention, and then what action should be taken. So the context of the situation is whatever the boss is called, Tom, whatever your name is, you know, I've noticed that, you know, that you've sent me these emails or you sent me 200 Slack messages in an hour, whatever it is you're doing. Um, you know, help, help me understand. These are the three most important words in the English language. Help me understand. Help me understand what your expectations are. That's really and interesting. Help me understand. I like that. Because this way it frames it that I, it, it goes without saying that I'm asking how, how I can understand, meaning I want to help you. I want to do the best, but let me know how I can do it, right? Yeah. How, how do I make this happen? You know, what's, what's going on? You know, you sent me yeah. 200 messages and uh, help me understand what's yeah. going on for you. Maybe you have a fight with his wife, you know, I mean, yeah. you, you don't know. Um, we're assuming it's a man. Maybe they had a fight with their, their partner. And this um, one, it was a, she said he, you know. Was a, okay, so yeah. maybe there's something going, help me understand what's going on, what you need from me. And, you know, then he says, well, let me, I, here, here's my circumstances. You know, what are your priorities? Because this is what I have to do. So I would always try and get into a dialogue to find a solution. And would it help if, or how about if, what if we did this um, and come up with a plan? You know, I, I, can't, do, I can't do it for five o'clock because, you know, I've, I've, 
I've got to give my kids the, you know, the afternoon tea or whatever meal it is. Um, but I can do it by whatever it is. And if that doesn't work, then you, suggest you might want to ask. Yeah. I would escalate, escalate it maybe to his boss. Okay. I really like that advice. I really like, you know, how, how you're framing it. Would you also suggest that maybe people get in front of it before anything happens to say, let's say I would say to your, let's say you're my boss and say, hey, Dorothy, I thought it would be much easier to have childcare for my kids and it's being a little challenge. Can we talk about it and work something out? Because I love my job. I love the company, but I could see there might be some times where I might have to tend to the kids and I might be unavailable. Would you suggest to get to bring it up so this way you're managing the expectations of your manager? But it could be a little dangerous because it could plant the seed. Like, uh oh, Jack's going to keep disappearing, and I need him to be here, uh, you know, twenty four seven. What do you think? Um, I think this is a leadership issue. Yeah, and this is something that really drives me crazy. Um, is that you know, managers should be on top of this. If they are, if they know their people, they should know that, you know, Jack's got two toddlers or he's got right. a teenager or, you know, what a, you know, you've got an elderly relative that you have to take care of, you know, and they should know. And they should be checking in with people. They should have done this months ago to say, Jack, what's going on for you? And if I say, Jack, how are you doing? And you say, fine, I Jack, what's really going on? <laughs> yeah. So that's, that, a, that's a good point. So, so that's actually what you're saying in part is it's a, it's a good litmus test to see how's your management team where you work. Are they empathetic? Are they sympathetic? Are they under understanding your, your, you know, what you're going through? Or they don't care. They don't reach out. They don't know. And that might be a tell that maybe after the pandemic's over, or even during it, maybe you need to kind of look elsewhere because if they're not doing that, do they really care about you? Do they really care about you as a human being? And, and I think one of the things, and, and I've written about this, is that you're, you're talking about employer branding and employers are going to be um, ranked on how they dealt with people. And you, you've got, you know, Glassdoor, you've got Payscale, you've got other sites where, where all of these comments are now going, uh, being placed. And, and there's a surfeit of, of talent at the moment. So it, it, it's a supply, it's, it's demand driven, not supply driven, but the, but the needle will change. And you do not want to have a bad reputation because you haven't treated your people properly. And, and it's, about, um, it, it's about really finding out what your people need, how you can support them, what they, how you can help them as a boss be successful. In Europe, is, is it more of a, employee driven environment or you know company management driven and what i mean by that here in the states particularly now you just feel that the shift is where the companies have all the power and i'm completely generalizing because there are different sectors that are really hot and, and certain people are in demand but with millions of people out of work millions of uh, people underemployed you just feel that they don't have as much power is it the same there or, or, or not so much? It, it, it is a little bit different because yeah. um, it, it's, I don't know how, it, it's less of an individualistic society, if you like, where they, ha there is, they have stronger regulation about um, codes of conduct, employee practices, how employers are, are supposed to behave. And there are quite strong legal penal penalties for 
employers if they don't um, respect those codes. Having said that, there is a lot of stuff going on that's not good. I mean, there's no doubt about it, but I suspect it's a, it's a little bit less than it is in, in, in countries that are, are less regulated, where you can, you can hire and, and I, when I deal with American clients and, and, and they say, you know, we need to fire that person. And I've said, mm, hold on, no, <laughs> you can't do that. There's a process. So it, it is harder to, to do certain things and companies are held to account um, more, more toughly than they are in the US, I think. So we would have here, and there are periods of time where you would see major corporations lay off, no exaggeration, like 10,000, 15,000 at a clip. And it's met with a, you know, a shrug. Does that happen? Oh, and let me add to this. They'll lay off, and I'm not exaggerating, Dorothy, 10, 20,000 people, you know, over maybe a period of time, 30,000 if it's like the airlines. But at the same time, the executives are getting big fat bonuses, getting raises, getting stock. It's bizarre. Do you, do you have that there? Yeah, and I mean, not, not on the same scale. Yeah. Um, but but you, you do hear that the companies are laying people off and at the same time as um, they're, they're collect, I mean, that particularly they might even be collecting state aid. So they've had state aid to support them during um, the COVID or the pandemic, but they haven't used it for supporting the employees. So we do have some of that going on, but I suspect it's not quite as widespread. How about here in the States, there's a lot of technology that's been deployed within the whole interview process, the whole hiring process that gets a little cold and impersonal. What's it like there in terms of technology and new developments in the whole hiring process and interview process? We're, um, we're starting to see some shifts and, you know, like with everything, um, there are good there are downsides and upsides so the upsides as we had in our little pre-start chat is that it's a way of dealing with unconscious bias in the hiring process so that is a plus um, the downside is that people feel disconnected and certainly i've worked with people who um, are on the automated interview who they've done automated interviews and my observation is it's a generational thing. So if you're in the TikTok's um, selfie generation mm -hmm. and that you're used to talking to yourself online, but then they don't care. Yeah. They really don't care. Um, but certainly my observation is that it's for um, other generations who are not used to sitting in front of a screen and having either a, you know, um, a, sub a subtitle come on and they have to answer the question or, um, maybe a voice, a computerized voice. So I, I think it's something that you've got to practice because I think it will it will be around for a long time. And I, and I was at a conference pre-lockdown where they did a poll of how people like to connect with um, employ, you know, an employer around a job. And something like 50% of the participants put their hands up to say they would prefer to deal with a chatbot than they would with a person. All right, we, we got to talk about these. this. Is this blows my mind? All right, so wait, because I, I had like two questions from Tony and Brett, basically saying, hey, they went to uh, that they uh, had these uh, one-way 
I don't think we call it autonomous. What did you call it? Autonomous? Well, I called it automated, but it's one way. Okay. So, okay. Yeah. One way, I guess they refer to it as one way uh, interviews where they're just talking to a screen or an image, not a real person. And they were, they both were saying independently, that wasn't a very pleasant experience. Now, I don't know their ages. They didn't say like, you know, are they millennials, Gen Xs or boomers? They didn't, they didn't ask. Um, do you, but you're saying that some people are more comfortable with that, huh? Yeah, I, I find I'm, I'm, all, all the, you know, the younger people, it's, yeah. it's not a big deal because it, it's quick, it's effective, you know, it's normally quite often used around um, hard skills. Yeah. Um, and just checking certain things, although the technology is becoming huh. more um, sophisticated and, and they are, they are, but a good tip is to put a picture just by your camera of someone you love or you like or your dog or your wife or your <laughs> husband or whatever just right. by your just by your camera yeah. and look at that so and you don't find it a little bit like i don't know cold and personal um yeah i mean i i think but then or is my just an old horror. guy. Is that what it is? I'm a dinosaur. Is this, this is what is this is is this the time where you realize, okay, I'm that grandpa who's like, what is this newfangled stuff? <laughs> What's this gosh darn stuff? You know, I think I think what it helps because the other thing that's going on is we're hearing yeah. more and more about organizations having five, six, seven interviews. Mm -hmm. Um, and you know, if you're a job seeker now, you have to give up a lot of time. And the, the, there is a group of people who just say it's like to the point, it's quick. Um, you know, it gets all the business over and done with that we need to. And then we go on to the stuff that matters. Because you might have a horrible interview, you know, with the person who's yeah. not nice to you. You know what? You know what? You're changing my mind a little bit, Dorothy, because I'm thinking this through as you're talking that, all right, if I have a, if it's just a one way, let's say after this call, I'm gonna interview. I, I log on, interview, say my thing. I could have my pitch ready. I could have, as you pointed out, I'll have a picture of, uh, I have two dogs, two cats. Maybe I'll have them on there or my kids on there. So it brings a smile to my face. And, and they should say my wife too. Or they should get mad at me. Yeah, say wife wife. Include that. So I have them all on there. <laughs> and, then, right, and then, and then you know, boom, I give it. And, and then it's done you know what I mean no stress of that other person no worry about them being a jerk no worry about them giving goofy questions or try to trick me up all right you know what you're I think you're selling me a little bit I'm still I'm still not loving the coldness aspect of it but I could see the positive all right but the chat box all right how do you like a chat box you're so annoying so what well, they, they prefer chat box responses yeah I mean I think once yeah. again it was a time thing they want to know basic questions like mm -hmm. you know um I don't know what's the salary range or, you know, all of these things that, you know, if, if you're trying to phone someone now, it takes, you know, you're on like hold for hours or you're right. trying to send an email, but you yeah. get the chat box and, and you, you get a response. So there, there, there's a portion of the population that really loves that. All right. You're starting to sell me on it. I don't know if I'm, I'm, I'm completely sold yet. You know, old habits die hard, you know what I mean? So it's hard to, uh, to say, Hey, Let's have an interview and just use this chat box. Uh, but I, I could see the merits of what you're talking about, that it make, it's very efficient. And if I'd imagine if, if, let's say, this takes hold across the board, in a way, you could probably better prepare for those things than the traditional interview. And again, I'm just thinking this out loud as we're talking, Dorothy, because let's say I'm a job seeker 
or you as a job coach, you, you know, you could then coach to the chat box. You could coach to, um, you know, the whole interview process, because if it's one way, you don't have to worry about these wild, you know, these just curveballs, these things that, you know, that you're not expecting that's going to come. And you could really give your best pitch, your best answers, the best way to, you know, sell yourself. So actually it could be, as I'm, I'm taught, you know, as I'm thinking it through, that could actually be a good benefit for people. And, and, and you do have to practice, yeah. but once again, yeah. you can record yourself on Zoom. Yeah, right, right. You could do it, you could do it like, you know, you stay home, and you're at a home, right? You just do it again and again and again until you're just like awesome at it. You know, you have the best, you know, the best pitch, the best answers possible. All right, all right. I'm coming around, Dorothy. You're a good saleswoman. I can see why you're a good executive recruiter. <laughs> you're selling me on it. Uh, how about the unconscious bias? Like, you know, we, we have, you know, that's, that's a, an issue here as well. How do you, how do you deal with it? And, and let's make me for the people who aren't really familiar or they hear, you know, you hear so many new terms that you have half, and you said, you know, when we were talking before offline, you know, you have half the country thinking one thing, half the other. And so when you're unconscious bias, you're gonna have half the population say, yeah, this is, this is awful. Half of it saying, oh man, this is just, you know, woke liberal agenda, leave me alone. Can, can you walk you know, through what, what you mean by that and what, what adverse impacts do, do, does unconscious bias have on job seekers or people who are in their careers trying to advance? Um, I, I think I think one of the the reasons that unconscious bias has got a bad rep is is because of the way it's been sold and approached, um, and basically it's been presented as having to fix people. Right? We need to fix ourselves, or you need to be fixed. But the reality is is that, that we all have biases. Um, you can't get rid of them. You can't change them. Um, that for historical reasons that they served a really good purpose. They were freeze, fight or flight. And so in primal times, they're around protecting your food supply and, and the population. And the chances of someone trying to, you know, steal your lunch in the staff cafeteria are probably almost zero. So it, it's about um, the damage that having these biases do to our business processes. And we all have biases, you know, that, um, and I, I'll say one of mine very openly that, and I've had to work hard on this, um, is that I, I had had a real bias around tattoos. Okay. And or against son, tattoos. My son is covered with tattoos. <laughs> really? <laughs> um, Are you, so you're not a fan, I take it, or? No, I mean, oh. I used to hate them with a passion. Right. And, and I was very mindful if I saw somebody who, um, and back in the day, people used to keep them covered. And now the, they tend not to do that. So I have to be very mindful of that, that I did not join, judge that person because um, they had a tattoo. So I think it's about just recognizing that you have this bias. It might affect your decision-making and setting up steps to manage those. And for me, it's not a big deal. And I don't get why there is this reaction against it. And quite often the areas of greatest resistance are the areas of deepest bias. Um, but we all have them and we can't change it. And they are good and bad. I have this, uh, so I'm, I'm sorry if I mispronounce, Gerline Garcia Bozzi was saying, where do you see the role of diversity and inclusion in the interview process with a chat box? 
I guess she means, of, I, I'm, I'm presuming maybe she means that, is that helpful because you won't see you won't see the person, so you don't know who yeah, they are. I mean, so it's like a. You are. So, yeah. you know, if, if, for example, you're exchanging um, details, it might be about your skills, your competences. They won't know who you are um, because, you know, their biases around name, their biases around appearance, um, the schools you go to, your postal code. I mean, there are biases in everything. So I think that it, it, it's, it's a little bit a bit. Um, blind CVs or blind resumes where all of the data except this, the competences are stripped out and um, that's it will be a skill-based um, assessment about your experience and your competence and that will take a long I think that that will take some time to come around to be commonplace some yeah. organizations are doing it do you have blind resumes in Europe or, or no yeah I mean the, the companies are starting to use really them. When you say blind, what does that mean exactly? It so, means you're stripping out key fields mm -hmm. um, where bias is likely to, to happen. So it would be around um, name, age, gender, address. Interesting. I, I don't know if they've actually gone to universities and schools. Interesting. A lot of bias around, you know, as we said, if you went to Harvard or Oxford, right. you know, that's, you know, carries a lot of bias. Yeah, yeah, how prevalent is it there? Is it like 5% or? To or be honest, I don't know the percentage. Okay. It's just some of the big organizations are starting to. It's starting to do that. Um, that's so interesting. Okay. Um, uh, Mark Dyson, Mark Anthony Dyson, who's a podcaster here in the States, a really great guy. Uh, he's written a lot about uh, what you're talking about with unconscious bias. And uh, he's a person of color. And what he was saying is that he sees both personally and professionally, that you have a certain name um, that might be more associated with, uh, let's say, a black person, that there might be a bias because of the name plus where they live. So if someone, and he was pointing out different, he lives in Chicago, so he's pointing out different areas. I wasn't, I, I really didn't know the, you know the areas in Chicago, but then employers may have this bias because of the name of the person plus their address and say, hmm, maybe not. And he, you know, what he says, that you know, since he was a kid till now, you'd see that all the time happen, and that it impacts people's careers because they're yeah, passed I mean, over. Um, and we, we don't do, we don't do it consciously. That's why yeah. um, we um, it's, it's unconscious bias. But you know, I don't know whoever on on the call that they should take the Harvard Implicit Bias Test, um, which is really interesting. oh wait, what is that? Would you say that I don't? It's the Harvard. Harvard Harvard Implicit is, Bias Test. And it's where you can test your own biases. And for example, I come out having very slight gender bias. Uh, uh, which way? Um, that I had gender bias, so I, I was just biased. I, I, I expected men and women to behave in certain ways. Oh, just in general, like how they would, each one yeah. would be, oh, okay, yeah. okay. I was horrified, but it, you know. <laughs> It's interesting. Can, can I give you? I don't. I don't know if this would fall under the heading of unconscious bias, but I'll give you real life examples for myself. When, uh, as a recruiter, and I'm looking at a profile, if I see somebody who, like right now, I see your picture. You look. You look nice. You look friendly. You look inviting. I feel more comfortable going into the phone call because I'm old school, so I'll still make phone calls. You know feeling, oh, that looks like a nice person. So I think I'll have a nice conversation. 
Whereas if I see some, some guy and guys love do this, you got to see, you know, when they have this look, you know, this like, you know, this like gruff look, I'll still call them, but I'm kind of entering a little leery, like, uh, he looks like he's going to be difficult and a pain in the butt, but I'll do it. And then oftentimes I could be completely wrong. You know what I mean? The person who I thought would be nice and friendly turns out not to be nice and friendly whatsoever. And the person who looks like they're kind of surly turns out to be the sweetest person ever. Exactly. Um, I mean, that's, even that's in, 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 in truth be told, truth be told, yeah, truth be told, even with like these LinkedIn lives that I'm doing, you know, people like yourself who I don't know, maybe I've just seen, you know, I, I would see you online and, and read some of your work and so on, but I don't know you. I kind of also say kind of feeling, I'll look at certain people and some I might go into it, all right, this might be a tough interview because they look, you know, really super serious and really, you know, and then you turn out that they're just a lovely, warm, engaging person. I'm like, oh, wow, that was great. And, and for the job seekers on the call, this is why, um, your professional headshot on your LinkedIn profile is really important because I think in, in um, a stat that I read, and I don't know if it's still valid, I would imagine it is, of the, of the six seconds that a recruiter spends on the top of your profile, 20% of that is on your photo. So it's really important to have um, a professional photo where you're looking amenable um, because there is that bias. People gravitate towards people who look like them and who look as though they might be a nice person. That's confirmation bias. Um, Matt have the same views. So it's really, it's really important. So what do you do to fight back against it? So let's say you, you, you know, you're interviewing, you feel, hey, maybe it's because of my color, maybe it's because of my, it'd be hard to tell, I guess, race, I mean, your religion on, on just a picture. Um, but like, how would you fight back? so that you don't have to feel like a victim and, and you're able to overcome it. Is, is that possible that's out of your hands because if someone's gonna have a bias, they're gonna have a bias? Um, I, I work a lot with women. I, I'm probably not the right person to talk about. Um, I, I don't do a lot of, lot of work in race or religion. Yeah. Um, but I, I, th I, think it, I think it's very, um, it's very difficult. And that's why there are so few people of color and the people with, with different religions to the dominant religion in their region um, that struggle to get on. It's why women um, struggle to advance. And the, I think they did surveys um, in an American university. It was maybe Harvard or MIT, I forget where, but where they, um, when they strip out names um, of applicants, in fact, women tend to score um, better than male applicants. It's the same when they do coding tests, when they don't know the gender, um, that women score um, more highly and because of the the bias, that, that the expectation of how we're gonna behave and how we're gonna score. So it, 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 it's really important for businesses because all the research shows that um, businesses that are diverse, inclusive, gender balanced, you know, they're more innovative, they're more creative, they're better decision-making, they're more profitable. Um, and yet we resist. I mean, it, it's quite funny. You know, so uh, it, you really got me thinking. So it sounds like if, let's say, Europe, the US, you have blind resumes, so it doesn't have your name, your address. And just, just give you some personal anecdotes. After college, I moved back home for a while because I, I the time, you know, my family lived in a place called uh, Canarsie, Brooklyn, which is a very, it's kind of a very working class neighborhood. 
And this was before it became, before the whole Brooklyn exploded and became all hipster and all cool and hip. It was just very, you know, truck drivers, taxi drivers, you know, you know very blue collar and such. And but it was fairly close to Manhattan. So when I was applying for jobs in Manhattan, I, I didn't want to use the address because I felt they would look, oh, this is some, you know, this is some schmuck from, from you know, Canarsie, Brooklyn. What, what, what's this person going to know? You know, because you would have those stereotypes. Well, I don't know. I think I might have just freezed here. Are you okay? Or Yeah, you pop back. You, a little... you did freeze a little bit, but you pop back. Oh, okay. Yeah, I guess. So, yeah, I, I, I'm not sure if it got cut off. But so, yeah, I, 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 really, I was concerned that they would just look at me in a certain way. Because back then, and I don't know if it got cut off. Now Brooklyn is all considered hip and cool, but then it wasn't. It was like, if you would see the old TV shows, you would be portrayed pretty much either, you know, uh, you know, you know, just a, a dummy or, you know, really low class. And I even had to work on how I would talk to make sure I didn't have the speech patterns of, hey, how you doing, Dorothy? How's it going over there? You all right? You know what I mean? And I'm not exaggerating. That's how people would talk. And so you'd make judgments. So I worked really hard to make sure I didn't sound like that because I know no matter how smart or capable I was, if I came across that way, people would completely judge me. So I could, I, you know what I mean? I get it. In my small little universe, I could see how that's, you know, how that really impacts people. I actually used a, a, a PO box, like a different address in Manhattan, because I figured, you know, let me see the difference. You know how you do A-B testing on things? So if you could, let me do that and let's see if I get more hits. And absolutely, I got more hits. I got more interviews because it, yeah. it, was, so, it was so obvious. It was so obvious. They just made a decision. Ah, this guy, he's from the outer boroughs. He's one of those, what they call bridge and tunnel crowd. You know, they're not in New York, you know, not New, they're not real New Yorkers, even though you're part of New York. So it's the thing. But to get back to your point, is that so if you have blind resumes where you don't have the name, you don't have the address, you don't have, and also in Europe, I know, maybe I'm wrong, in, in the UK, didn't they have pictures on it? Do they still do on the resume? In some, in some geographies, they still have pictures. Still. Um, and that is changing slowly, um, but they, they still have pictures. I mean, I, I, I have had clients that have changed their names um, because they, they want to make their name fit in with the region that they're living in, mm -hmm. you know, either adopt a French name or a German name or whatever. Um, so it, it, it with what, what people are doing is they're trying to fix themselves to fit in. And what we need to do is to make our organizations more welcoming and inclusive. And that is taking, it, it's, it's quite a struggle to do, to yeah. do so far. But I like your idea, you know, as it's, it's, it's really profound. So if you have that blind resume, you don't have the pictures on it, you know, that sometimes they have, I guess, you know, maybe they're doing away with it in, 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 in the UK. And then on top of that, you have the chat box, you have uh, the one way mirror, maybe you have the one way where they don't even see you. They just hear your voice, you know, they cut out. So maybe those are interesting ways that companies could really try to root out and make decisions based on the person, based on their background, based on their experience, based on what they do, as opposed to, you know, discriminating against them or liking them because as you said, hey, they have Harvard, so they must be good. And that person looks like me and, oh wait, they grew up in Westchester. 
that's this part of New York, but nice area. And so did I, so they have to be good. So yeah, so the, the, those could be, it sounds like those could be ways to do it. I did have another, uh, uh, another question. Would you recommend that implicit bias test for managers or employees in general? Everybody, I mean, to be honest, them? I think everybody should take it. Um, it. I just think it should be something that we all should do. Um, because it's it's an eye opener, and you you get a range of tests. I think there are about you know maybe ten tests, and, and they're on race, on on um, gender, on di different on on different um, tests. But take as many as you want, and it's it's part of a self awareness. And I think once you start to know yourself, it's much you you're easy. It's easier to manage yourself and to understand other people. This is really good. This is really fast. I can't believe. Okay, we're all, we're almost at an hour. Believe it or not, that goes by really quick. So, are there any 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 other things, any other that you'd like to share that maybe I didn't ask or maybe we didn't get questions for that that you like to bring out? No, I, the one thing that I I would add actually is eventually the person has to meet meet somebody. You, you you're not right. going to um, start without meeting anybody. Um, so when you do have an interview, I mean, I think the interview system, they say, is about 85% inefficient. So it's really important that organizations take steps to manage that and to make sure that, um, that people are treated and, you know, fairly during the interview. And the other thing is that we tend to look for this horrible phrase like cultural fit. You know, that person fit in here, you know, that um, she goes to my church, so she'll be a good worker and she's bound to fit in. So we, we need to be now looking for, um, some people call it cultural ad or cultural value. So don't be looking to recruit mini knees, but looking to expand the richness of your team. So um, that's what I hope will um, be, a, be here with us soon, I hope. Well, that's great. I, you know, I, I really enjoyed this conversation. I think it was so illuminating um, here in the U.S. It's so interesting. We're maybe because we're such a large country, and you have fifty states, so we kind of always look inward. So it's really always enlightening to hear from Europe what goes on, what you're doing compared to what we're doing, and and you benefit from that because just in this conversation, you brought up a lot of interesting points that we just talked about that would really help out over here. Plus, it sounds like it's very different in terms of the employees there seem to have a little bit of a better deal, sort of, a little bit more protection. And maybe that's because our culture, we're very much that, that rugged individualist kind of maverick culture, but they're big differences. And, uh, and when it comes times like this, where things are rough and you need the financial help, uh, you have a lot of people here in need, a lot of people in trouble, a lot of people like you pointed it out what you're, you're like one health scare away from going bankrupt so it's it's interesting to see what goes on and this is why i was really excited to have you come aboard and talk because it gives it sheds lights on hey he, there are other alternatives here's what other countries you know what, what they're doing in europe you know uh you know is different and works and makes people happier so i really appreciate it oh hey i have one last question though i'm Tell sorry me. i lied i have one last question okay so i understand that belgium is known for their chocolate and beer is that right you have a, what would you recommend if someone's going to belgium or they just want to try what what, what should they do what kind of chocolate uh, is that correct that chocolate yeah. like, that's so, a, and, and, um one of our, our chocolate makers yeah. um here pierre mapolini 
Um, he is just, I think, just one. Wait, what's the name of it? I'm going to write it down. I'm going to check it out. What's it called? Yeah, Marcolini. He has just won, um, I think it's the best um, dessert maker or uh -huh. in the world. So he's based in Belgium. So I think you can even buy him in the States. And I read that you can buy him in the States. And we've got so many different beers. Um, it depends whether you like a light beer or a dark beer or different beers. I, I, I like a, a Lef, which is yeah. um, a blonde beer. So um, there are so many, but just check it out. I think they ship everywhere, so you can. Yeah, there's not like one that's the go-to or? No, or... I think they're all go-to. Oh, I think really? Okay, so it's yeah, that much of a choice there. Yeah, there's that beer. Right. Did I miss anything? So you have the beer, you have the chocolate, what else? What else is uh? Um, it, it's one. It's a um, a real hidden food culture. I mean, they they love yeah. um, gourmet eating, gourmet uh, dining, um, and I think some of the restaurants we have in Belgium are just first class. So if anybody ever comes here, um, go to have a beer, have a chocolate, go for a nice dinner, and then Perfect. call me for a walk. Uh, brilliant. I uh, will leave it at that. That's oh wait, one more thing. Would, 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 should I, should we suggest to the people watching this and watching it in the replay that if they want to know about Belgium, they should watch in Bruges, the movie, is that okay? Or no, that's, is that? Yeah, that's, a, that's a fun movie. It's has, does have a, I, I won't spoil it, but it's, yeah, it's a fun movie. In, and, dark, and, dark ending. And what was the guy, oh man, we talked about it just before. What's it, Colin? Colin Farrell. Col Colin Farrell. And cause if I, I saw it years ago, but if I remember it just, it was like being on a tour because you saw, you know, everything about Belgium or, or as more, more Bruges, the town. It was just such a beautiful, yeah. quaint it, town. It's the Venice of the North. Yeah. It's absolutely fabulous. Well, fantastic. Dorothy, I really appreciate your time. I think, I think this was great. I mean, there's so much good information you gave, so, such wonderful insights. I think it was eye-opening for people to hear what's going on in other places. And, and I think I think we all learned a lot. And I think you kind of, I, I don't know, I think you did sell me on this stuff. I think I'm now kind of buying into the chat box and the blind resumes and that. The more I'm thinking about it, I, I get it. So this is really helpful. So thank you so much. No, I thank really you. And, and basically you, you can't solve new problems with old thinking. So we all have to change. So. What a way to end it. Perfect. <laughs> That's excellent. Thank excellent. You so thank you. It was great meeting you, Dorothy. Thanks. Okay, bye-bye. Hope you enjoyed this episode of the WeCruiter podcast. If you want to check out other great content from WeCruiter, make sure to visit us at WeCruiter.io. That's W-E-C-R-U-I-C-R dot I-O. We offer tons of great resources for job seekers and professionals, so make sure to check us out today.